You're listening to the Duplication Nation MLM podcast. Leaders live here. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Chopping It Up on the Duplication Nation MLM podcast, which we also put up here on YouTube. Uh, This is an endeavor I do with my esteemed colleague, Jaime Lokier. We have the this podcast out every week. We have a website called duplicationnation.com where you definitely should go and sign up for the free MLM boot camp, a three-week survival training on how to be successful in the business. And if you're a leader, check out mlmconfidential.com, which is our paid newsletter for higher level leadership stuff. So this show, if you're here for the first time, is not an interview. I get a partner every week and we just chop it up about anything to do with the profession of leverage sales, leadership, recruiting, personal development, success routines, um, the psychology of success, and wherever it takes us. It's long form content. They go anywhere from two to 29 hours long. And <laughs> it's just back and forth. We don't talk in 30 second sound bites for TV. It's a real conversations for real people about what happens in the real world of our business. So this week, my partner in crime is Marco Passanante. Hey, my friend, it is delicious to see you. Hello, my friend. It's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to do some chop chop with you. (laughs) So with you, I think we have to start with the breaking news. You're now a father. Tell me how that's going. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Uh, It's as they say, you know, you cannot imagine it until you are there. I have to say to get a little child, a daughter in my case, it's magical, Randy. It, just holding her there, I think it, it takes life to, uh, to the next level in the sense of meaning, in the sense of responsibility. It's, it is truly special. So thank you. Yeah. Just congratulations to you and your wife. I'm just so happy for you guys. That's, she was born in like April? Correct. 18th of April. Okay, and so for anyone watching the future, we're recording this the end of June 2023, May, June, so not even three months old. Correct, two and a half months old. And yesterday she had her first fever. So as a parent, it's a different level of anxiety and stress when you cannot do anything and you're seeing the temperature going up and up. So I got to experience, we got to experience the first Stress of seeing your child suffer a little? <laughs> uh, it's. I just flew home from San Diego two days ago. And there was a lady one row behind me on the other side of the aisle with a baby that was, I don't know, colicky. Her teeth were coming in or his teeth were coming in. I don't know what. But I have more than 7 million frequent flyer miles in planes i have never heard a baby shriek louder and longer than this one just for 
from this was from the connection from Dallas to Miami, uh, two hours and 30 minutes. That kid screamed for two hours and 10 minutes of it and just only stopped because it was gagging on it. It was. Uh, and that poor mother, I just mothers, I, you know what they do? It, there's just no. And parents, it's not just mothers, it's fathers too. But when I see a mom traveling with kids, it's like, these women are just instant sainthood. They they have to qualify. <laughs> they, they have to. And I think as a, as a father seeing the sacrifices the mother are doing, I think you get a, the respect of your significant other goes up, seeing a woman in that position and the baby needs her, the baby wants the mother's attention and seeing the sacrifices first on the body, Randy, when they're pregnant, to seeing, taking all the hits or whatever they call it on the body and then they're recovering after. I mean, my respect for women went up so much for the sacrifices they have to do to put us on earth. Yeah, it's amazing. All right, let's dig into business. Um, I love having you on because several reasons. First of all, you're a very high level achiever. You're earning an income that most people only dream of. You're a top recruiter. You're not one of these people who built a team 20 years ago and have been coasting on the coattails ever since. You're in the trenches recruiting at a really high level. And but maybe mas importante, you had a couple of false starts in the the business that were really difficult. You kind of had to hop around. Um, I didn't even know all that much about your past till recently. Just talking with you know, chatting up with people like, hey, I'm talking with Marco. Anything? You think I should mention with him and three different people said, oh, you got to talk to him. You know, he was in Vima. They had a collapse. He was in Visalis. They melted down. Will you kind of talk about that? What you went through, what you've learned? I don't know, wherever you want to go with that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why we're here to chopping it up, right? So let's dive into <laughs> those things because it's quite an interesting journey. And I started in the profession already with ACN 2003. It's 20, I'm 40 now, right? So I was 20 years old. And actually, my first sponsor, the first thing he gave me was actually your um, dream speech. I think you were in Australia or something. It was a CD back then. That speech, I never published it. Somebody did it on their phone, mm. and there's literally, it's got 50 million views all over the internet on hundreds of different platforms. You know, Luca Meloni, who I had on uh, a couple of episodes ago, his team back in the day, they took that video and they dubbed it in Spanish. They just had... Uh, 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 I think Cesar, uh, who did it, and it's got millions of views in Spanish, although it's not really my voice. Uh, so that was your your sponsor gave you that in ACM. So, so I, I started everything I could find back then with you. This is 2003, right? And they said, this is the legend in the profession. Listen to that. And actually, I saw it the other year on, uh, on YouTube. 
So many of my leaders now the last few years, I've been sending it to them because I think it's an amazing speech you did there. So, but that was my start. And then I was in there two years, my, 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 my up and out of there, they left to actually, I would say a money game, you know, with, with stocks and CRM solutions in a company and you invested money, you know, like these things we're seeing today, many jokers are on there today, right? So I actually got scammed with this kind of stuff back in 2005 already. So I know when you, you know, I signed up some friends, they invested everything from a couple of thousand up to $10,000. And I lost some friends when they lost the money because they kind of blamed me, right? And so, so I saw the dark side of the profession back then. And then of course they collapsed and like those things always do. And then I was out in 2009, Randy, I was, I was working 10 hours a day for a big newspaper in Sweden and they were playing soccer for the Americans and football for Europeans every night. And um, I was so tired of that kind of life. I wanted more. And my best friend died in 2007 in December. So I was kind of a, for one year thinking, what, what do I want to do in my life? And, and I, 2009, January, I decided I'm going to build, go back into this profession because I, I had seen it. I believed in it. And I saw the potential of it and started with Vima. So I did it part-time and Went very bad the first couple of months, but at my ninth month, I actually passed the income of my job. And after I was there five and a half years, Randy, and the end of that was when I studied the profession on a deeper level. 2011, I started going to the mastermind event, right? And and met you. That's where I met you the first time live, um, and listening to you and the guys there, and realizing that how I'm building today, I realized there was some kind of, let's say it's a side of it that had lost the kind of genuine thing. I had joined Vima 2009, was focused on the product because it was a great product to after I started analyzing and learning more around 2013, I started seeing, and that's where I hit my peak, hit the elite club in that company. And I started losing belief, Randy, because I saw how it was operating because it came in, this young people revolution, which was so focused on only recruiting, hyping, recruiting. And I left that company April, May, 2014. And I said actually to my sponsor line and some of my team that I don't believe this company will last. Of course, they're not a Ponzi scheme, previous scheme, but they're how they're operating, they're in the gray zone because it's more focused on recruiting, selling starter kits, and I left and people told me I was crazy, Randy. And one year later, we know what happened with that company. They got a check. Of course, when FTC came in and everything, it, it was it proved that they had a lot of customers, but they were r- running it on a, just folks on recruiting base officially outside a message, right? So yeah. I saw it one year before. It was very tough to realize that I have to leave this because I don't believe in the long-term. So that was the first kind of hit where I realized I have to leave and it hadn't collapsed, Randy. So it was quite a stable business I had, but I didn't believe in it. And that's where I joined Vaisalas, the one of the founders. I got to know him and he was my sponsor. Who is and, that, uh, Nick or who? Nick Sonicola, correct, yeah, correct. Nick, amazing, this Nick, amazing talent. Really is a, a brilliant guy in a lot of ways. I have to say, I learned a lot from him. He's one of the best guys I ever worked with. I have a lot to thank him for because, yes, he had his negative sides, which I think people know, but but 
from a, as you said, talented and, and driving, creating leadership and strategies and from the personal growth standpoint as a speaker, he was so talented. I learned so much from, from him, Randy. So I'm forever thankful for, because I have to say he elevated my game. He did 100%. Leaving that, leaving my first company, and I had to leave Scandinavia where I had 80% of my business because they weren't open there. I moved to Germany, didn't even have no German and launched that basically with three, four people who was very small players, almost had no teams and launched with that. And I have to say, I created four or 5,000 active distributors in, 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 in like my fourth month was at 4,000 active with totally new people. And, and I have to say that was a lot because of Nick. But then that company, when I joined them, they were already on their way down. And I joined, let's say, how do you say this in a diplomatic way? There was stuff I joined based on that I saw half a year in that this is not where I can build my future. Yeah, I I love Nick and... There was some real talent there, uh, and they're still around. I think they're still doing it in Europe, probably still here too. They merged with Prove It, right? So they're part. Uh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's where they went. Um, but it just, they did the buy-in leaders thing mm. where they went and like they actually bought one of my top leaders that I had down under. A guy was making 50K a month and he, they bought him to come and work and they did that with so many people. And you see with Manavi, you see with them, it's just, and, and really a perfect example of what happens just took place in Russia and Ukraine <laughs> this week when uh, Evgeny Prozhigin <laughs> marched on Moscow, right? Yep, and interesting then, uh, twist on that. So now he's he's hit out in Belarus, although I would not be surprised if by the time this video is published, he has mysteriously fallen off a balcony or died of poisoning, right? Question about time, huh? Yeah. When you hire mercenaries, they're mercenaries. Yep. And it's the old, whatever that tr trope or cliche is about the scorpion got across the water with the alligator or the alligator crossed the monkey the or frog, right on the back or something and then yeah. he, he stinks in that's what scorpions does yeah right and this is what mercenaries do so i it's too bad they went that route because i always look kind of a the thing about this these chopping it up is there's so many million dollar nuggets per minute that if you just extrapolate huh so one of those would be Vaisalis I think how well they were at storytelling mm. shake tastes like cake yep. right that that's storytelling that's how I always look at like why did I join Agile uh I looked at that and they had the gel packets and I said here's a fresh story the yeah. business is so incestuous right everybody like so at that time Everybody was a magic berry juice. Mm -hmm. They all had some magic berry, whether it was Fiji, Tahiti, Asia, Asaya, however you say Alaska. It, They're from Brazil, Alaska, everywhere, right? And they all, certain mountains, certain village. And so it was just everybody 
doing and then it went you know everybody was cbd oil and everybody's right now everybody's keto and the you always look for the fresh story like what's the product narrative that people are going to talk about the next day in social media where they're going to be dm and their friends on instagram but hey i was just at this presentation and they were talking about this and that's what Vaisalis did really well. Was also they, with a challenge message, right? They started instead of selling products, they challenged the cha message of challenging people, right? So. And you see how many people are still knocking that off, right? And doing it with success, right? Yep. And they did it really. The other brilliant thing they did was they had uh, they were linked with one of those auction sites. So you would say, hey, I'm doing the Vaisala's 30 day challenge. You know, I'm gonna lose 20 pounds in 30 days or whatever. And I wanna buy these, whatever the products were, the shakes um, and it's $50 a box. But if we get five of us, it's $45 a box. If we get 10 of us, it's $40 a box. And it, it drove that virality of that sharing, right? Yeah. No, definitely. They did that amazingly. And I think also, as you said, mercenaries, what, what I think they also did, what kind of like that is waiting room. So you kind of competed out legs and stuff. I you know, you could do that on a monthly basis. You sponsor a lot of people and then you had a competition where to place them. And I think many in that company, they got a little too much placed in more than one leg. And we know what happens if you didn't build a foundation. Yeah, you can have a growth for a couple of years, but once it's starting to go downwards, if you didn't build it the first time, you can never turn it around. So, so many people like this as well, Randy, that once it started to go down and backwards, there were too many incompetent, incompetent leaders who couldn't turn it around because they hadn't built it themselves the first run, right? So this has always been, I have always hated the binaries comp plan like poison because it was originally created just by con artists to fleece people they set up the company you know every binary has to have a base that's going to be the company so the company is going to sponsor one left and one right but usually what they call abc company base is really the ceo or the president or the wife of the president or the mother-in-law of the ceo whatever who's got a perfect spot they never need to do anything they'll be auto qualified for the rest of their life and then the left side and the right side is the wife and the son and the next four levels are the dog cat parakeet and iguana and then the uh, the next eight or 16 might be where the real people start to come in so people would start these these scammers would start these binary things they would make 40 60 80 million dollars in a two-year, have a great bottle rocket two-year run, then it would collapse and they wouldn't care because they would have gone to some island with, you know, a country with no extradition treaty and they could live out their years with their $80 million. Mm -hmm. um, and so then in the 90s, everybody went to binaries because they were trying to compete with that. Then everybody went to weekly pay because they were trying to compete with that. Then people were going to daily pay because they were trying to compete with that. Then people were going to instant pay. You Every time you sold the kit, boom, the money was Venmoed or PayPal or whatever to you. And it just created a really toxic mentality. Today, most companies are, the newer ones, are usually hybrid plans where binary is one element in there. 
And that's much better, I think. Like your company, you've got an element of the binary in there. Especially for the company, got- longevity, right? You don't have the parasites. So just maximize sucking out the juice from the top and which the, the company's leaking, the people getting late. I mean, they, they're there's so little left. It's a piece of the cake is too small for them, right? Yeah, and that's where when they, the ones that were just pure binaries with, and that waiting room that you mentioned with Vicellus, that's where everybody started to game the system of, Mm -hmm. hey, if you do that, you'll get placed here. And then you see people like, okay, every, the first person you recruit has to go to your sponsor. They were doing the old, what we used to call the Aussie one up plan. And then you build the other line and all of that, all of those machinations create entitlement mentality, welfare mentality. And if people only knew, like if you're in my position, I get three DMs or emails a month, like, hey, Randy, I have a position in my company. The person wants to sell it. They have $89 trillion in the left leg and you know nothing on the right leg and they want to sell it and they'll sell it for only a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and i have to write them back and say dude there is 40 million positions just like that that anybody could buy for a hundred dollars because that's what you know the the say what you will about the old school plans the stair-step breakaways amway shackley new skin they built those so you couldn't get rich just if you, because you sponsored Dexter Yeager. Yep. Wouldn't matter. If you, if you were the guy or the gal and you sponsored Dexter Yeager and he went out and did $500 million worth of volume a year and you didn't have anyone else, at some point he's going to break away from you and you're going to get a override on his personal group volume. But his people are going to break away from him and you're going to you're going to get capped your income pretty early because that's the way you have to design plans so that people can't just be one and done you have to create a diversified team with multiple lines and that's what got lost with um those holding tanks and the the gaming stuff. And I think the more people get away from that bullshit, the more sooner they're going to learn how to build a strong team. Absolutely. But but it's sad to see how many still are doing it. I have a a guy I I, I talked with, he's a co-owner of a company. And he, he told me, because he's also a top distributor of that company, and the way they built a fully binary, and I asked him because I looked at the comp plan and, and I told him, but this won't last. You, you, the money cannot make money long-term with this compensation plan. How much you're making based on the volume and everything. And his response was, yeah, in a while we might have to look at that and change the compensation plan in the future for the top leaders. For me, directly, that means... Okay, hang on a second. I... I... What happened, I noticed I got kicked off my regular Wi-Fi, and so I was worried about the signal, so I changed it, and you froze, and I want to, so I don't know what got recorded, but you just started the story, you had a friend who was a owner of a company, and then he also was a distributor. Shall I restart the story, and you cut there, right? Yes, 
Yeah, go from there, please. So, so I was talking to a friend. He's now a co-owner of a company, but he's also the master distributor, right? And they build it as a fully binary. So just by, without diving deep, you can see that this company will leak money based on the percentage of the company that he's making. And I said, but now you're an owner. You have to think a little different than as a just a distributor. Don't you think this is a little wrong? Because you will run out of money, first of all. The company will collapse. How are you, how are you looking now? Because you, know, you need to look from an owner's perspective. And he's like, yeah, I think you're right. We, we, in the future, we'll look at it and we will um, probably have to change the compensation plan for the top leaders, which for me, in other words, in my ear, sounds like I'm going to squeeze out as much as I can, as long as I can, and then we'll see when I need to do the changes because they have a very rich investor that is throwing in money, right? So probably for me, that was like, I'm going to write it as long as I can. And now the, the, the main recruiting, what they're doing is showing checks, and imagine you coming in 25 years old, no experience, never saw the profession, and then throwing these checks at you. You can make this money. You make this with this little that. Or so. That is still happening a lot, Randy. So two people who will remain nameless both told me, "Yeah, you know, I, the thing. I think Marco he sees some of those people at the GoPro event." who are always waving the checks and the Lambos and the rah-rah hype and bullshit. He kind of got seduced by the dark side of the force a little. And now he's kind of realized that that isn't, that isn't where it is. <laughs> There's so much bullshit in our space with that. Particularly if, if you got to, by the way, Every, every single company owner, every single top leader should reflect very seriously on this question, which is, are you willing to get one check? Meaning you can get a check of profits as an owner, or you can get a check as a distributor. But if you make yourself the master distributor, is there not going to be a conflict of interest where you might make company decisions that are not in the highest good of the team because it makes your bonus check bigger? Mm -hmm. Like if you look at Orion and Hilda in your company, yeah. they really did it the right way. They are, in, you know, they founded a company, <clears throat> they invested in it, and they said, hey, we're going to hire someone else to run the company. Mm. They brought in Dog, he's the CEO, um, and they say, we're going to build private distributorship and get paid our bonus check. I just wish more people would ask that question of themselves. Like, is there, am I putting myself in a conflict of interest by trying to burn both sides of the candle? Yeah, and that's the perspective as well, back to the binary, right? Because that's with Orin Hilda, that's not a binary, which means they have to build new legs, which means I can surpass them. If I build more legs quicker, with, right. with less volume, with more legs, I could surpass them. So in that sense, it's more fair, but a pure binary, you put yourself there, as you said, and then left and right, and then you ride the, the whole volume in perfect balance without building, then it, I can never surpass you. 
Yeah, that's the thing with when you mentioned the ones who are building with the checks. That's the problem. Because, yeah, if you're at the top of the binary or what happens way too much in our space is they're somewhere in the binary, but they're guaranteed a cooked leg, which means they don't ever have to build that leg. They're going to auto be auto qualified every pay period. Um, it's the people underneath them do not have the same opportunity for success. They really can't pass them at some point, even if they work harder. Because like particularly, and this isn't just true of binaries. There's a lot of different, even in you know other hybrid. Because there is many advantages with binaries as well, right? There is many advantages with binaries as well. So, uh, yeah. The but the thing with the the auto qualifying people is. If you say, okay, so my sponsor is Jimmy and he's auto qualified, he's got a cooked leg. So he only has to build my leg. So he has, it's two times easier for him than me. That's not true. It's like a hundred times easier for him than you. It's not two times because every time that binary splits down another level, it puts another, uh, quantum degree of difficulty to match that person at the top who never has to build because particularly like if if the the downfall of agile really came about because they brought in a a couple from thailand and auto qualified them and allowed them to auto qualify uh four or five levels down so they were, uh, you know, they were king of the roost because they had all these diamonds breaking, but they all were working one, one line with cooked legs. And so it was all smoke and mirrors. And, it, yep. you know, it, that kind of thing creates a cancer in a company. And because people look at that and say, I can't understand. I'm working 10 times harder than her. How come she makes five times more than me? I can never catch up. And eventually they look across the street and they say, I think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Hmm. Uh, no, definitely, definitely. But if we're talking about that topic, I think after Vaisalas, because I resigned after nine months. And from there, I looked at many companies and the company I'm with today, right? Since, you know, I, I, I said that is, if I want something to build for the next decades, it's the best home. But I was living in Spain. I had business all over the world. So I, I met her in Hilda, talked to them, but I decided to not go there because they were not outside of Scandinavia. So I went to another one that actually I have to say chopped up themselves big time. And that was Juness. So I went to Juness. We talk about, you know, special deals for leaders, this and that. And so I got seduced by that one. I keep an email just to show friends where from that company that's to me like hey we want to send a private jet out to pick you up we're going to fly you into headquarters i will be your sponsor it wasn't from the company it was from one of their top uh scam artists and he was saying i will uh guarantee your income of you know 100k a month for this period of time and you know it's just if people knew the craze. That's why I started this chopping it up thing. People have to know the real truth. So because once you know that stuff, you can inoculate yourself against it. Right. So if you realize, OK, like when I joined Agile, I knew that Eric had a cooked leg because he told me 
I knew Randy Schrader had a cook leg because he told me. They just said this was, you know, this. we worked hard, we gained a reputation, so we insisted as this to join, we wanted this, and we will give you the same thing. And I said, no, I'm, I appreciate the offer, but I can't take it because then I'm never going to be able to look anyone in the eye and say that you have the same chance to, uh, as I do, and you could out earn me one day. And then every big leadership event, I tell my team, come on, which one of you son of a bitches is going to start earning more than me? You know, I want, I'd be challenging them because I want 10 people who earn more than me, because of course that's actually gonna make me earn even more and more and more, you know what I mean? But when you do these deals, it hurts. It, it just, it kills morale, it becomes a cancer because they're not disclosed usually. And so people get so frustrated and that's when they think, oh, the problem is me. Cause I keep going to these annual events and everybody's driving those bonus cars and everybody's winning those trips and telling the quick stories only which yeah then holding up those big checks of two hundred forty thousand dollars a month and then you have all the real con artists who are printed in that work from home website from the netherlands where they everybody buys their publicity from ted newton um i mean the if you don't know about that stuff, you can't inoculate your team with it. And so same with all these MLM crypto scams. That's really the reason Jaime and I started DuplicationNation.com. So we could take back the profession from all these Ponzi schemes. And and in many cases, I, I mean, like if you look at the, the Omega Pro deal, mm -hmm those are just criminals. I mean, we're talking narco traffickers and, uh, you know, just mafiosos that, I mean, it was, it's incredible. The, the level of criminality. Yeah, and, and when you say that, Ryan, I think many can think you're joking, but it was true in South America, right? There were real mafios, real uh, drug trafficking and stuff, right? This is yeah. No, like yeah. Make sure anybody lets me know. No, I'm not joking. I mean, literal, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but that uh, narco trafficker that they arrested in in that neighborhood in Mexico City, uh, he's already out because the whole Mexican judicial system is so corrupt that uh, they threw out, you know, they raided the place. They found the guns, the money, the drugs. They threw out all the evidence and he's back on the street. So I'm sure he'll be, you know, putting out a new recruiting message on Instagram any minute now <laughs> for whatever his next deal is. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's sad to see how many people get hurt by this. I know so many people because I've been so long in the industry as well. So many ask me, Marco, I joined this camp. What do you think? I said, you want my honest opinion? Yeah. And then I tell them what I think. And they, they all get shut down. I mean, eventually, and some of them, not until, of course, they were big enough so they come in and really do the due diligence on them. But I can't see how many of them will survive those due diligence once they get them, right? And it's sad to see. It, it is. So many can think here, they listen to this and think, oh, why so negative about the profession? No, no, this is facts. And I think it's nice what you're doing. Of course, many will dislike it, especially people in those deals. They will all be so talking negative about you for like, but, but in many cases, it's just the truth. 
And people, they, they, they don't know it. You're brand new, you're naive. When you don't have experience and perspective, you're naive. And you get into this profession and you think like, why is he so negative? Why is Randy talking about this? Yeah, but they need to know but what's good now as well, if you go to some of the page there, you can read about some of the biggest coaches and this and that, how they have a lot of money in Omega Pro they had because they lost it, of course. And then in other stuff, right? So it's, it's good. It's coming out. So it's good what you're doing. It's very positive for the profession to take it back, as you said. Yeah. So Jaime and I have this newsletter for leaders, MLM Confidential. And we have a section each month called the dish, like what's happening in the space where we're naming names. And so the episode, the issue that's coming out, probably it's out just at the time this is getting posted. This show is about the, there's a, a YouTuber named Coffeezilla who's just brilliant. So he has created, he goes after scam artists and he kind of makes it like a, old 50s Hollywood movie where you had the gumshoe detectives. I saw that, yeah. And so he dresses like the detective and, you know, breaks the case and he's really brilliant. And he's exposed a lot of scams, a lot mm -hmm. of Ponzi schemes, some MLM, but just any scam around, he goes after it. So he was, um, he just did a three episode series uh, on I think it's called Trader's Domain, which was this Canadian Ponzi scheme. They took in about $500 million and got, they now it's collapsed, of course. Um, but a lot, so he did a series on that of how people were creating money from that illegally, of course, because they weren't registered. For, like it operated here in the US and there were a lot of people here in the US promoting it. It's it was, you know, they claimed to be like a foreign ex, a forex foreign exchange thing, but they weren't licensed. So anyone who promoted it is really at risk of going to prison for a felony because it was unregistered, unsecured trade stuff. And they were using that to get people in to get money. And then they were putting that money into Omega Pro. Wow. And there was a lot of hype around it. Uh, and. So CoffeeZilla, basically, he, I think he was a big implement, uh, a, a big, not implement, what's the word, I'm, impetus, maybe impetus of getting that thing to collapse. And so behind, so he put out a list, or it isn't out yet at this time, but he's put out a list of 500 people who were in on that deal. And then a lot of it went to Omega Pro. So um, behind MLM.com, which is the site known by this mysterious figure known as Oz, he went through the list and started compiling names of big name MLM people like Mike Sims, who's, of course, you know, Eric Worre is on the list, mm -hmm. some other people who were on this list put out by CoffeeZilla of people who directed money into Omega Pro allegedly. Mm. Um, so like we print that in this dish session every, every month, we name names of people like this. So that's literally the episode we've got, the issue we have that's just coming out as people. So anyone watching this man, listening, mlmconfidential.com, 
go get yourself a subscription if you're a serious leader in the space because we name names like that every month so people again it's it's you have to know about this shit or you can't protect your team from it because your team says, I don't understand. You sponsored me nine months ago. You told me I'm going to be able to live my dreams with this. You said I have to work 10 or 15 hours a week. I've been doing this for 15 hours a week. You told me you can't, don't take any money out of it. Reinvest the money back in the business. So I'm doing this for, for nine months now, 10 months now. My check's up to 850 euros a month or $1,212 a month and I'm putting it back in. And my friend joined this other deal three months ago and he's making $5,000 a month. So mm -hmm. you lied to me. Why did you get me in this lousy deal? If I would have joined this deal my friend is in, I'd be making $5,000 a month. And somebody has to tell him the truth to say, well, yeah, if, but if you were robbing banks, you might be making $50,000 a month. But do you want to rob banks for a living? If you want to be a contract killer, maybe you could make $500,000 a month. But do you want to be a contract assassin? Are you happy? Can you look yourself in the mirror every morning when you're shaving or doing your hair or whatever? And know that you make your income by exploiting and victimizing other people. Which it is, right? I mean, if you get somebody to invest, just like I was scammed at 22, right? I got friends to invest 8K, 10K, 5K. They lost their money. So with the knowing, there's one with, you know, the biggest scam out there ever, probably one coin, right? I yeah. sat down with one of the top leaders and I asked him, Honestly, do you really believe that your people get the money back? And he was very actively recruiting. And he's like, I tell them there's a big risk. But I say, yeah, but honestly, do you think they will get the money back? It's a 50-50. He says that and with no conscience, go out and have people invest 100,000, 50,000. Like, I just realized like, wow, I'm so different than these cowboys for sure. Yeah, you know something Art Jonak mentioned that I found intriguing. He said, hey, talk to Marco. He used to have this philosophy. When he was going through this networking hopping, he said something to this effect. He said, if you get too close to people, you lose your moral authority, was what he believed. But now he thinks the opposite is true. What did, what did he mean by that? Yeah, I mean, what I saw, Randy, you know, starting off in the profession and seeing, you know how it is when you're brand new, you see all of these people, you hear them making this kind of money, this and that, and you idolize them, just like when I played football, right? The biggest stars, they became the idols, people you, they were very, of course, inspirational, but aspirational. You wanted to be like them. And then when I worked myself, took hard work, of course, but up to be top leaders in those companies and when I got behind the scenes with owners of companies, with top leaders and sitting in their homes and realizing that some of them actually said the opposite at the dinner table than they said on stage a couple of days before. And 
for me, it's, you know, many talk about honesty, integrity. I live my life that way. I would never mislead people. I believe the world needs more leaders and fewer of the misleaders who just tell people what they want to hear. So I, it, it was based on, I, when I got closer to them, I realized that, wow, they are willing to, like politicians, right? Say what they believe the people want to hear so they will vote for them or they will sell them their product. Or So it was disappointment after disappointment for a few years there. And then got in, in, in a better environment where I realized that, wow, there is honest people. There is honest people. These people are not going to just mislead me. People who share the truth, even when it made them look a little bad, but they were sharing the truth and saying stuff they meant. And so I believe with, with years now, being in the right environment for, for years, I feel that, wow, there is people who, who generally want people well, because that's, that's the environment, Randy, I want to be in, because I believe we have the best profession in the world. Building a, as you call leverage sales, you know, whatever people have called it, network marketing, direct selling, I call it building a franchise out of e-commerce business, because we have e-commerce and we'll be a franchise part with, 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 you know, can have a percentage of other store sales, just like a franchise. I believe it's the best profession for the average person to get in, but also from, you know, also already successful people to come in and, and scale a business. I believe it's an amazing profession, but just like every effective business model out there, it will be misused. And that's why we want people to be aware of that. And that's why I like what you do based on those disappointments, as you mentioned, seeing people who are willing to mislead people for, for their personal gain. And I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite of that. And that's why I like what you're doing. Quick note, I want to insert in here for people who are listening in the United States, um, don't use the franchise analogy because there is regulatory precedent set that they don't like that language. So that's every country has its own unique idiosyncrasies and laws. And one of them here in the U.S. is the franchise model. It's a very highly regulated model with a lot of legal precedent set in terms of languaging, how it's marketed and promoting. And so they do not want us in direct selling leverage sales, MLM, to mm -hmm. to to present our business as franchise. Which is a great point, which is a great point, right? So, yes. so we'll have to add franchise-like. Yes, yes. <laughs> because it's kind of franchise, right? It is, but as you said, from a regular, regular standpoint, they want to... Yeah, we, we, I'm trying to think, uh, I don't know if it was John Milton Fogg or it was the guy who wrote the, um, the Next Wave books, but we used to call it the People's Franchise. Yeah. Um, back in the day. Um, and that was a really effective thing. But we ended up stopping using that because it was getting so much heat from the regulators that they felt like we were misleading people, which is really unfortunate because we weren't misleading people in any way. It truly is like a personal franchise, like the idea of a McDonald's or a KFC or a Midas muffler or a, a 
yoga franchise is, hey, we built out this system. We have training. We have expertise. We're going to help you shop for the location. We're going to help you get financing on your business. We're going to show you how to hire good people. We're going to show you uh, the marketing tools we've developed. We've created a nationwide uh, a marketing campaign that you will contribute to and benefit from. And, you know, if you go to McDonald's, it's down to the level of we will show you how many people to work at the shake station and the french fry station and the grill and how many people to have at the counter and you can take a 17 18 19 year old kid who his mother wouldn't even let him borrow her toyota <laughs> and he's basically running a restaurant doing $4 million a year, and he might be the night shift supervisor, or she might be the night shift supervisor because of the franchise system. And at its ultimate level, that's what we want people to do here is create that step by step by step duplicable system. Here's a tool you use to screen through potential candidates. Here's the tool you use if they're interested in the product line. Here's the tools you will use if they're interested in building a team and developing residual income. Here's the training outlines to follow. You know what I mean? So it, it really is the equivalent of a franchise for your, your own personal talent. So it's a really cool thing. Yeah, it is. And also to simplify how we make money, just like a franchise, if you're, started, if you're a founder of McDonald's, you started the first McDonald's, you make money two ways. First, customers come into your restaurant, your store, buying hamburgers. Second income stream, when you make a franchise out of it, it's other people open a McDonald's and you have a percentage of other store sales. That's how we work, but uh, with an online shop instead of a physical store. So yeah, makes sense. 100%. Uh, give me... All right, we're back. We took a quick water break. Doing these shows, you kind of, you pack water, trail mix, energy bars. We never know <laughs> how many hours they're going to go. Uh, so what do you, what's next on your list? Any, what, what things did you want to kick it around about? I mean, since, you know, we're diving in a little here about the industry stuff people need to be aware of. And, and then, of course, I mean, having you here as well, we have to talk about building, I would say, self-worth. You know, going into that topic is something I think is so interesting because when we can learn to control the dark side ourselves, right, then, then we can win in life. Or as I often say, when you can learn to put that, and because emotional stuff will happen in life, we react on stuff. And I would say one of the keys to live a good life is when we can learn to put a rational response to an emotional reaction. So I want us to dive in a little there and I want to hear your thoughts on that as well, because, you know, decades or decades, probably four decades almost right in the profession. And you helped so many people grow, develop into leaders, win big in life in this profession, outside of this profession. So we have to go that route, Randy. That's the magical, most magical part of the business, I think. And it's what saved me. It, network marketing saved me saved my life. I really believe that because 
the 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 integral part of the business that's baked into the cake is self-development and personal growth. I didn't see that in any other business. I have run restaurants. I owned a hairstyling salon. I published a magazine. Uh, I've invested in numerous other small businesses, retail things. Uh, I'm, of course, a professional speaker. Now I'm an author for 14 books now. Uh, so I've seen a lot of different businesses and professions, uh, but none of them have this self-development baked into the cake the way we do in our business. And as someone from my scenario where I just come from a very crazy dysfunctional family of origin that has a lot of people with a lot of issues, and I'm really happy to say has has advanced a great deal. I I'm I love and adore my mother now, and I have such a beautiful relationship with her, and I'm so happy it has evolved that way. My kid sister Lisa, I'm so proud of her and the the way she has built her life and you know advanced. Um, but you never would have believed that if you saw my family back in the day. And I am proud and, and humbled to say, I think I was a big catalyst for that because I got involved in network marketing and they started telling me to listen to Wayne Dyer audios and Jim Rohn audios. And uh, I was in Amway when I first joined the business. So they have a ton of the tape of the week back then, book of the month back then. Uh, so I got exposed to Think and Grow Rich and the magic of thinking big and the richest man in Babylon. And that led me to the unity and science of mind churches where I got exposed to uh, Reverends Eric Butterworth, Charles Fillmore, Ernest Holmes, Catherine Ponder, uh, and on and on. And that was a transformation for me because I was... I've talked on a couple of shows about being on the autism spectrum mm. and how when I grew up, no one knew what that was, including and especially me, right? What I think people should know is that autism wasn't even registered as a diagnosis until 1980. So anyone, so I was born in 1959, all right? So I was 21 years old before the first psychologist on earth came up with the diagnosis and said, hey, there is this thing called autism. And there is a spectrum, a very broad, very, very broad spectrum, right? We have people who can't communicate can't take care of themselves. And we have people who are genius Mensa IQs who can do extraordinary things, but we have really maybe not so good people skills or community, you know what I mean? There's, and everything in between. Um, so for me, I, I had such low self-esteem. I never fit in. I never fit in with my family. Um, 
And being on the spectrum is one thing, but I was also gay. And growing up at a time when that just, nobody talked about that. Of course it existed. Homosexuality, bisexuality, all of these things have been around since the first humans, even though people would like to deny that. It's true. It's, it's true in the animal kingdom, in all kinds of species, right? Um, but nobody talked about that in the 60s and the 70s, right? It was only with Woodstock and the, uh, uh, I remember reading a, a Rolling Stone interview with David Bowie and uh, they like asked him some like leading question about his masculinity. And he said, oh, I'm bisexual. I like men and I like women. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's what I think, because I like girls, too, and I like boys, too. And, it, you know, it was and so that was liberating for me. But that was a big, you know, here we are in 2023. There's still people that would deny my right to exist. There are still people who would literally throw me off of a rooftop because which is insane. That. It's, it is insane, but it's the world. Right. So even like when you grow up in a minority neighborhood and I'm going to get people are going to eviscerate me for this and cancel me I'm sure but I'm going to speak my truth as I know it because I believe if you grow up in Korean town in LA you're going to face discrimination there's going to be if you grow up in uh you know if you were a Marielle refugee in Miami after the boat lift you faced discrimination people who distrusted you hated you whatever um any minority can that can happen in any country um the difference when you're gay is like when you're the Korean in or the Chinese uh child in Chinatown you still have your family you got your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandmother, your grandfather, and they're like you. And they say it's okay to be like you. Whereas when you're gay, even your mother and your father and your brothers and sisters can say, you're a mistake. You're an aberration. If, you're, if you live in Malaysia, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, you and you're gay, if your father finds out, he might feel it's his duty to murder you, to mm. protect the family honor. So when you're a kid growing up, in, in, and of course, I wasn't raised in a country like that, like Indonesia, let's say, but still, I was raised in an environment where even people who knew me and loved me would say, did they find out, you know, how did this happen with you? Is this a defective gene? You know, and these are my friends. This wasn't somebody trying to hurt. This is somebody who loved me a lot and innocently asked the question, is there some defective gene that made me the way I am, right? So growing up like that and a pathologically shy kid with buck teeth, who didn't fit in anywhere. My self-esteem was so in the crater down 50 levels below the surface and getting in this profession and getting exposed to that self-development and personal growth saved my life, right? There was, um, because I did ideate 
uh, suicide for a lot of years. Um, and there were some really dark moments in my life, some real depressive. At what age, Randy, did it start? At what age did it start that you started thinking, taking your life? Was that very early or when was that? That was probably when I was like 19 or 20. Mm. When I was 13, 14, 15, 16, I just was like, I thought it was because I needed to rebel. Mm. So I was doing drugs. I was doing alcohol. I was in jail for armed robbery and burglary. At, at just before I turned 16 is when I got arrested. And so I got out on probation when I was 16. And um, so I went back, you know, they released me to my mom. And I said, I can't live here anymore. She says, if you want to live in this house, you have to follow these rules. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to follow those rules. I just want to get my own place. So being a smart, clever woman, she is. She says, okay, great. Go rent an apartment and pay your own groceries and everything. And let's see how you do. <laughs> and so I got out and there I was living by myself. And um, I didn't pay the light bill. They just turned off the light. I didn't pay the rent bill. They would put a three-day eviction notice on my door. And so I kept getting these lessons from the universe that said, Actually, if you make a contract with the phone company or the power company, you have to pay that bill every month. Otherwise, they're not going to provide the service anymore. And if you want this landlord to let you live here, you're going to have to pay the rent every month. And so I had to grow up quickly because I, my mom obviously thought I'd be back in two weeks, but I didn't go back. I made my way into the world. So it um, by I, I lied about my age when I was 16. They opened this Red Lobster restaurant in my town, and I wanted to be a waiter because waiters made a lot of money. They made a lot. I was a cook, and waiters made a lot more money than cooks because they got tips. So I was 16, but I had a pretty good mustache going, and so I lied to Red Lobster and said I was 19 because you had to you served alcohol. So you had to be at least 18. So they hired me. And from there, I was at 17 years old. I got promoted to a manager at Howard Johnson's where I was running a million dollar a year business at 17 years old. And fortunately, because Howard Johnson's even though it was company owned, it was like a franchise where they had systems for everything. So I was literally calling in my payroll every week, my profit and loss statement every month, posting my accounts, created a PL statement every month. I learned so much at 17 years old, right? But I still, so I thought, okay, once I need to rebel and be my own guy and have my own apartment and all that, and then I'll be, it'll be perfect. And that's the, you know, I got to that age and then I realized, no, I still just, I don't fit in with this world. I'm different than all these other people and I don't deserve this. And somebody is going to come and find out and then they're going to take this all away from me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually joined network marketing with Amway when I was 20 years old. And so that was, at least I started getting that, that personal growth stuff, but I have a, um, a journal down here in the desk drawer that no one in the world has ever seen, but me. 
And in that journal is a uh, uh, my farewell letter that I wrote to the world one Christmas Eve when I had just broken up in my relationship. It was like the 11th negative dysfunctional relationship in a row. I had, I, and I wanted to be the good guy. I just said, you keep the house, you keep your car. I have a car. I'll take my clothes. You keep all the furniture. I'll pay all the bills. Uh, you know, I want to be a good guy about this. And I had a bunch of frequent flyer miles from traveling around building the business. So I cashed them in and I went to the airport Marriott hotel in Miami. Um, and I still can't drive by it anytime without remembering that night um so it was christmas eve and i was alone in this miserable fucking hotel and i mean i love marriott i'm a lifetime titanium now so i'm they're treating me right they're always putting me in a beautiful executive suite and but back then, the airport Marriott on Lejeune Boulevard, and you had a view from my room of a dumpster from the motel next door. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve, and I'm all alone, and I'm just like, so I wrote this letter. And it wasn't uh, like a, a suicide note. It was just like me summing up, okay, this is how life went. It hasn't really worked for me, um, whatever. And fortunately, I uh, had a therapist I was working with, and I called him, and he recognized the emergency and called me right back and, you know, saved, saved me from doing something that would have been really, really tragic. Mm -hmm. um, but that, that process that had to happen, Marco, was... I the reason I broke up with that 11th dysfunctional relationship is because I was causing them all to be dysfunctional because I hated myself. So I was never going to let anyone love me because I didn't love myself. I couldn't even let people like me because I didn't like myself. And uh it kind of came to a head when I was 30. I had my restaurant seized by the IRS and auctioned off for taxes. And I had to sell all my furniture to eat. So I was sleeping on the floor. And I started doing personal growth two hours a day, every day, because I had nothing else to do. I was looking for a job and I was sitting on my floor. I still had my TV because the last thing you sell is your TV, right? Even when you're sitting on the floor, you're sleeping on the floor, you're going to hold on to the TV to the last possible second because the TV is your escape. Today, you could do it on your phone with YouTube or whatever. Back then, we didn't have that. So the TV was the only thing that could take your mind off your life of miserable existence, of not quiet desperation, but loud desperation. And so I'd be up all night watching infomercials on how to get rich. And, you know, but then I'd wake up in the morning and I would read uh, Ernest Holmes and Charles Fillmore books on the science of mind and prosperity. And it took me two years to get out of that funk, I feel like. And I felt like I completely 
remade my life in that two years. Mm-hmm. And it, the fascinating thing with uh, biology is that over the course of two years, you literally replace every single cell in your body has been regenerated. Your hair, your teeth, your skin, your kidney, your liver, your toenails, everything has been in a two-year period of time. And so I was biologically going through the physical transformation of replacing every cell in my body. And I felt like during that two years, I was going through the psychological same regeneration process. And my last book is called Radical Rebirth. And it's how to kill off the old you and create a new version of you. And I didn't even know when I wrote it that the reason I wrote it was that Christmas Eve I spent at the Marriott Airport Hotel where I was going to kill myself. Because it took me all of those years of therapy and processing and self-development and personal growth to recognize this really simple but profound truth that if there's a part of you that you don't like, you can kill off that part of you. You don't have to kill yourself. You can kill off the parts of you that you don't like, and you can replace them with character traits and behaviors and thought processes and actions that you do like, and you can grow into the kind of person you are meant, I believe, to become. And it wasn't until after I wrote that book and I was doing the publicity tour and going through all these interviews that it kind of dawned on me, holy shit, that, that, the reason that book came about is because of that night on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And um, so I really mean it. When I say at, at 30, I was in a hiatus in between companies at that time. And it was shortly thereafter when I was doing that self-development during those two years where I said, man, I got to get back in the business. Like when I was 30, when I lost the restaurant, I was $55,000 in debt with no house, no car, no credit cards, and no job. So, and $55,000 to me at that point in my life is the equivalent of $30 million to me today, right? Literally in in who I was and what my earnings potential were and everything. So I'm 55 grand in debt. And I'm thinking, man, if I could probably get hired at Denny's to be a manager, and they were paying like $30,000 a year at that point for a salary. And I'm thinking, I owe 55 grand, you know, how long is it going to take me? And I said, I got to go back in network marketing. I got to get somewhere where I can make 10 grand a month and work my way out of this debt. And um, uh, much as you did, as you had your, your, you know, moment where you said, Hey, I got to go back in the business. That's, that was one of those moments for me, but it's all because of this, journey of self-development and personal growth that is so integral to what we do. Mm. It is, it is. And I mean, powerful story as well and, and how you live that. And for, for me, it was similar. I mean, I, I think you touched on that because I grew up, you know, in Sweden, I was 
what me and one more was only dark kids in the Swedish because I have Italian heritage. So, so I remember they called me, oh, you're, you're, you're not Swedish. And I was so sad at 12, 13. They told me, you know, they called me bad things for being not Swedish. And I was very sad about that. So, so I, I, but, but I think what you touched on there, you know, being gay, that your own family cannot even understand you. That's even deeper from, from that level, total different level. But I grew up a very insecure boy, Randy. Uh, I played football. I was a talent. So I, I was very confident if you put me on the football, the soccer pitch. But it took me out of that very insecure young boy. I grew up mostly with my mother, probably 85% with my mother, single mother, bartender. So she was gone a lot. And uh, even in schools, you know, I, I didn't finish with full grades because when you had to present in front of class, I would never show up. And so already 20 years old, when I saw this profession, I went to my first event, still that very insecure young man. One guy spoke on stage about goals and visions and fascinated me so much. So the after dinner, the after party, I talked to this man and he said, oh, I'm impressed that you think like this at 20, that you're hungry. He said, wait here. He left. He came back a couple of minutes later, gave me a little note. He said, this is the name and number to the most successful leader in your area. He's waiting your call on Monday. This was a Saturday night. I called this guy on the Monday. Wow. And he invited me to his home. It was a 30, 40 minute um, ride from my home where I was living and went to his home, walked in. First time in my life, I saw books of personal growth and, and somebody talked about you know, possibilities that it was possible for me. And um, it was probably that, that was one of the seminal moments of my life where he gave me a Tony Robbins CD and a book. And I went home and I didn't even listen to the CD. And then he told me a couple of weeks later, have you listened? I haven't yet. And I still remember when I sat down and pressed play on this CD and wow, it planted so many seeds in me. That, that, that sort of shifting that maybe there is possibilities for me. And then I started ordering everything I could find and read and and then one thing that changed everything for me was when I heard one speaker say, your mind cannot hold two thoughts at the same time. And I started analyzing this, like, oh, what if this is true? And they said, you can, if you're aware of a thought, if it's negative, you can replace it with a positive. If you, and this is, you can train this thing. And I started like, okay. So I started training because he talked about catching that negative thought replacing it with something. And then I started, he said, number one, awareness that you're negative because yeah, maybe you can have a self, negative thought about self and maybe you're right to have a negative self-image but at the end of the day, does it really serve you? So what if you could ca catch it, number one, be aware of it, catch it, replace it with a more positive reinforcing thought. And I started practicing this Randy and sort of analyzing myself and realized how negative I was. And they also talked about designing yourself. So I sat down, I wrote down how I wanted to be. I wrote book, I wrote down, I want to be a classy person. I want to be a leader. I want to be confident. I want to be this. And I started really working on aware of my negative thoughts, 
catching it, replacing it. And I started designing myself. I even ordered books, a book called Gentleman. How do a gentleman eat, talk, dress? And I started changing my whole identity. This is a 20 years old. Of course, this was a process. took a few years to even start building that confidence. But that was the shift. And that's why I'm forever thankful for this profession, Randy. And I'm going to work with this profession for the rest of my life because somebody was that somebody for me. I'm still sitting down with people way down in the organization who's brand new. And people every now and then ask me, Marco, with all this experience, all these years and the success, and you still sit there with the newest person. I say, yes. For me, that's, that's where significance lies. Success is what I do for me and my family, build me, brand me. And significance is what I do for others. When many say on stage, oh, I love helping people. Yes, but if you say you do and you don't, then do you really? So that's something I go back to myself all the time, Randy. Like, I love helping people. So that's why I have to ask myself, who did I help today? So when I prospect people, you mentioned at the beginning, yeah, you're still a top recruiter after all these years. Yes, I am. Because I know what a powerful tool we have. And I know how powerful I am if I focus on that individual, on their development, on being, giving them a tool, giving them the books, the audios for them to help to see the possibilities for themselves and then be that beacon of light of possibility and help them guide and help them make a shift from an insecure human being to help them believe in their dreams and in the process working towards that, helping them believe in themselves. I'm, that's why I'm so passionate about being that somebody for somebody like this somebody, a man called Magnus, was that somebody for me, right? So Natalie and Federico, when you're doing the editing for this show, <laughs> you're going to need to grab the last 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> and make an excerpt. Uh, honestly, I, I'm just sitting, I'm thinking about the story of me telling what it has meant to me and then what you have just shared there. And I'm like, this is probably the greatest recruiting video for network marketing that has ever been created since the earth's crust cooled, you know, or if at the very least it is the most powerful advertisement for the benefits of daily self-development time and, and personal growth, which is this, it's the secret weapon of our profession. And, People get so hung up on the big checks and the Lamborghinis that I think they forget about that a lot, right? Absolutely. So tell me about your team retreats. I know you put together, you go to some really exotic locales. You do some really high-end retreats. What, what's the process of that? What do they look like and, and, and how do they work for you? Yeah, so so I just just had one. We had one this weekend with some of the main leaders from the German-speaking countries, right? And that was in Greece, and and, and you qualified by certain ranks for certain production. And then in this case, we had a big villa where we had fifteen people coming in, and, and 
where we mix of we had a we have chef there so some good food and then we do some you know often we do some excursions some exercises together team building things but we also do deeper level workshops where we actually did my, my my workshop this saturday was on self-worth and going into detail how you build that self-worth to step into your greatness because we all have the seeds of greatness inside, right? So it's a mix of having fun, food together, conversations, uh, personal time together, mixed with coachings, uh, workshops. So it's it's also showing, of course, the kind of possibilities, help them dream bigger in a nice setting. Like two years ago, we went to Dubai where I rented a yacht for dinner. And I think we were like 65, 70 people on a big yacht with food. And just to get the chance to help them to, of course, elevate their, their, their thinking of what's possible. But then in a mix where you do that, show them also the way building that self-worth, building the skill sets, building the hunger. So the whole purpose is just a mix of, of, of helping them believe bigger, but showing them way how they can get there. And of course, the glue to this profession, the relationship building. So that is the focus of, of those. So not to skip over it, because I think it's really important. So this is a meritocracy, right? They have to achieve certain ranks or benchmarks in order to participate? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a mindset we need to fit on where we live in a society today where you want to give prizes to kids for just participating or, or parents, sadly, who often give too much for the kids without they have to do any sacrifices and then they get out in life and life is sadly not adjusted to you, right? But where, where, so, so it's kind of a... To help people, I believe in that, Randy, you have to earn it. And to, to, to be successful in life, a quote I always tell people is, great, now you've been working consistent on your dream for the next, like, next last eight months. To be successful, you just have to keep the serving it long enough, and then one day you'll get it. So keep the serving long enough, and then eventually you will get it. So it's it's believing that, of course, you have to do something to qualify. So yes, it's it's definitely based on it. All right, so I'm going to go on record right now in 2023 and say in 2043, you're going to have a business worth at least $50 million. And I believe that because of who you are and the track you're on. And I think that's a very doable thing. So you're going to be worth $50 million. Your daughter will now be, your daughter who is two and a half months old right now is going to be 20. How are you going to handle that situation? I'm going to put you on the spot and <laughs> nail you down now as a brand new father who's just beginning to think about this. How do you how how are you going to manage this? Because a lot of people who watch this show have to deal with this issue. They are high level achievers. They are making extraordinary incomes. And they have kids and they don't want the kids to be entitled, spoiled, neurotic, coke addict, uh, you know, homeless people. How are you approaching that? What are you, what are you and your wife thinking at this point? 
I mean, it's a it's a very relevant question, right? And maybe after my answer, some listeners going to say that I have kids are 26. Ha, you've believed that now, Marco, when she's two and a half. Let's talk in 20 years and we'll see, right? So maybe what I say now will be absolutely not relevant. But from uh, what I'm analyzing is kind of like, okay, what can I do? It's one thing I want to have. I don't want to give her stuff for free. That is one thing I'm thinking. She will have to keep deserving it, right? So she wants this. Okay, let's. What what can we do? Maybe if that's at early as well, self development. Like I got introduced to at at, at twenty, right? Already at ten, maybe read a book, summarize a book for me. I pay you for this. I'm thinking about getting into. Of course, some kind of sport. Hopefully, something like tennis or something where. I love sport for that because you have to count. I'm not going to let them do a sport where they get a prize for participate. I'm going to keep her away from that environment because life is, as I said before, not adjusted to her. Those things. But then I'm looking at myself as a father to do that. It will probably be very tough. I have a friend who said, my daughter, when she was three, four years old, I told her only candy on Saturdays. Then she was five, six. He said, and this is a guy who's very tough outside of with his child, right? Entrepreneur. And he said, you know, then she looks at me, she said, can I have candy, daddy? He's like, absolutely not. It's Tuesday. And then he said, then she looks at me with those eyes and smiles, please, daddy. And he's like, okay, just one. So we'll see where that comes, Randy. But I'm <laughs> going to try to be firm. And I'm also, sales is key to everything in life, right? I believe that because for me, sales is influencing people through communication and what is parenting it's influencing my kids through communication so i'm going to keep studying communication and sales so i can be that influence for her because if you as a parent cannot communicate your ideals and values for your kids who knows jiffy lou around the corner will sell her ideals and she'll end up maybe you know in a bad environment where you take drugs and stuff. So I'll do my best for that, but it's tough. It's tough. And today's society, we see, I mean, where it's going in entitlement mindset, whether you want to punish people, have more and this and that. So we'll see. It's an interesting journey. You have any advice, uh, Randy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. If you want to know how to raise kids, all you have to do is talk to people like me who don't have children. <laughs> we can tell you exactly how that's you what, should raise That's what people do, Randy. That's what people do. If you listen to this and you've been two months in the business, why are you listening to your uncle who never ran a business in their life uh, if they, this will work, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, th there's two things. And you mentioned one of them. You talked about, because um, I know a lot of people who have done this, where instead of saying hey, you get an allowance of $20 a week or 30 euros a week is you earn this. And one of the things you mentioned was if you read a book and give me a book report on that and give them a self-development book. See, I love that. I would probably, uh, I would add a friendly amendment from my good dear friend, Naval Ravenkant, <laughs> who I haven't met, but is my good dear friend who says, hey, um, just let your kids read anything so they develop a love for reading. Let them read what they love, if it's comic books, whatever. And then once they develop that love of reading, they will get to other stuff that will be less empty calories and more nutrient value. So, 
But the other thing I've seen from the people who follow, you know, what I get to see is because I've been teaching most people in network marketing don't even know network marketing is a hobby to me. My day job is teaching the principles of prosperity, right? That's the work that really motivates me. And that's why I'm still in this profession, because it allows me to have an impact doing that. And that's why I do my power prosperity podcast, my blog. So I get to be, I get to see a hundred thousand case studies every year of people who follow my work and communicate with me, whether social media or on the blog or DM, email, whatever. And one of the most powerful things that they're doing is getting young children to create their dream boards or mm. prosperity manifestation maps at eight years old, at 11 years old. It's really powerful. I have one right there that uh, you, you saw the show with Peter. I was just redoing my new prosperity board and I'm in the process. I've actually got it up hanging on the wall now and I've started to add stuff. Um, but it's never too early <clears throat> to do something like that where you, for people who don't know, it's just, you put a and it doesn't have to be framed. You could get a piece of poster board from the art supply store and you just put images of things you want to do, have, and become. So for an 11-year-old, it might be that they want to um, star in a ballet recital or be in the school play, and they could put an image for that. And maybe they want to earn enough money to buy a scooter or uh, attend a dance academy or a summer camp or something. Um, and if you kind of help them through that initial process of, hey, this isn't just material items you want to own because that's a really superficial way to do that this is a board to things but don't discount those because that's part of prosperity too money and material things are a vital and necessary element in holistic prosperity and living in manifesting a prosperous life but for the dream board you, you want to put things you want to do have and become and if you kind of coach kids through that process, um, I have so many of people who share with me the stuff their kids are doing. You know, they get the kids permission and they send me photos of their dream boards. And, and, and it's amazing. I think so stuff like that. I think it's never too early to get that prosperity consciousness expanding. Right. hundred percent. And, and I, yeah, you said in one training, I heard that maybe 10 years ago or something, you said, don't ever, also go, because go and be back to be an example, just like in the business, right? Be an example for the kids. And you said, don't ever let your kids see you give up on that or take down that and show them that you gave up on your dreams, right? So it's being an example of what's possible because I believe one of the parents, you, you can tell your kids, listen, you can be whatever you want. This is possible. And they look at you and like, Yes, daddy. Yes, mommy. But why are not you? So I believe it's a teamwork, right? But I believe one of the parents have to show that possibility. Because if I want her to dream big, act big, realize big things, I have to do it. So that inspires me to go after big things and being that example, right? Because the kids will figure it out. So how, how am I behaving, talking, acting in everyday life? So... That's a big love it. Well. What else you got on your list? 
no, I mean, that was one thing. And then we, I had what we, you dived in in the beginning, right? We touched a lot of that because that was one of my topics as well. All right. If you and don't have more, that's okay. I just want to make sure I'm not cutting you off. Uh, yeah, I had what we talked about it before. There was some leadership stuff. Then was some different topics around that. And um, you, you, you got something more there on the list because you, I know you have a couple of things. Yeah, I have a couple other things I'd love to riff with you on. Um, go back to this recruiting because... Uh, Wes talked about it, Orion talked about it, Art talked about it. Anybody who mentioned you makes that, brings that into the conversation. He's a top recruiter. He's doing recruiting at a high level. So I wonder, I think, like one of the things that I, I maybe is to, to, as you go into that, um, because you know, I've been working with Zinzino for literally decades off and on now. And um, I use Zinzino as the gold standard of building the customer base, which is here you guys have gone out and built half a million auto ship customers in a, uh, um, uh, a, a very a much abbreviated period of time than any other company I know who's ever come to anything close and working with Orion and Hilda and art and dog. One of the things comes up is over this last year is, Hey, we've got to get these guys bringing in more builders. They have is in Zeno has the opposite of what most people have, which is, hey, every, like the Vima thing we talked about, where they're just recruit, recruit, recruit. Who cares about the customers? We just want to sell kits and we make our, you know, fast start bonuses off our kits. And they don't understand the true power of this. Everybody having this network of customers who are buying every week or every month. Um, but Zenzino has the opposite where they've done, you have people who have a thousand customers and that's not really going to duplicate well for, there's not a lot of people going to do that. So will you share some thoughts about your recruiting, how you're doing it? What, and, and then how are you dealing with this issue of getting more builders as opposed to just customers? Yeah. I mean, as, as you said, you know, the company, it's always been really good and exceptional and, and getting the customers. And for me personally, I'm very passionate about health as an athlete and everything, of course. It's a big passion. I'm very passionate about the products, what we're doing, test-based nutrition. And But as we talked about before, the power of helping people grow, believe in themselves, and that it's a, it's a tremendous passion for me. So I believe if you want to be a top recruiter, it has to start with what is it that I offer people? I think, I think if you're listening, go deeper on this because for me, it starts there. I write down what makes me happy, what makes me feel significant. And it's helping people win, helping people grow. Of course, helping people with health is one, but helping people grow, helping people believe in themselves. And then I just write down how can I help people? And for me to help people, I have to recruit people. But also going back to knowing why can this as a tool 
help me help people. So I think, Randy, one of my one of my secrets is behind the scenes, how deep I went inside of myself, analyzing what do I have to offer the people? Why am I, I blessing to them when I reach out to them? Because I believe inside of myself, when I talk to people, I'm doing them a favor by even contacting them because I got what they want. Long-term health, everybody wants. But if you look at better financial situation, a lot of people today, they want that. Being a community or having a challenge or personal growth. So I know I have that or some want financial freedom. We can offer that. They have to work for it, of course, but it's possible. So it's the, it starts with the mindset. I believe I'm doing them a favor. I'm a blessing for them. I'm powerful in what I have because just that, that Magnus was the somebody for me. I know I can be the somebody for somebody else. And that is so strong ingrained in me that I am a blessing for them. I believe I'm doing them a favor. It starts there. Number two is look at the profession. People deserve a company like we have. It's built on the right foundations. It's built on real customers. It's built on, because it's the mix, because distributors, entrepreneurs will build the business, but customers will stabilize the business. And how do I create leverage is having more entrepreneurs who help people with their health. So how do I get more customers? I need more entrepreneurs, more distributors, partners, as we call them, to get customers. If I do that more effectively, automatically, their business will grow. And the passion for helping people chase what? Happiness. So I get the chance to sit down with them. When I work with somebody, I will talk a lot about honesty, integrity, and I'll be the role model. And because the world needs more leaders, we have too many of the misleaders. So that's behind the scenes. How do I do it? I still do it in coffee places. If I need somebody, I see somebody on, on Instagram, like, wow, this looks like a really good person. Prospect would fit what I do. Just open conversation. Either right, you can so open. Let's, let's dive in there. You're yeah. at the coffee shop. You think somebody looks amazing. How do, what happens? What, how do you create that interaction? Step one, open conversation. And I know, Randy, you're a shy person. If you ask my fiance, I think everybody listening to this now, if you know me, you will be so surprised how shy I am. If I walk into a networking event, it will take me minutes of self-talk, brainwash, empowering this, changing my, my state and everything to even get myself open conversation. It's not natural for me. But, I, but I, that's where we need to go back to repetition of a certain small things we say that gives confidence. So in a coffee place, my strategy is this. I walk in. I'm, let's look if there's some table open where people look sharp. Oh, this woman or guy looks sharp. Let's go over there. So I, I, I learned to be safe in my strategies, in my process. So I would sit down or stand there. I would look at them, see what they have. If they have a coffee, I would excuse me. I'm thinking about what I'm going to order. I see you have the coffee. How was the coffee? Open, so I, my strategy is I'm going to open conversations, not with intentions of prospecting them. I'm opening conversation to see where this leads. So now I open a conversation. They said the coffee was good. Thank you. I go buy the coffee. I come back. 
hey, thank you for the advice. As you said, the coffee was really good or the, the cake you advised me to get, it was delicious. Thank you so much. Marco Default Passanante eats cake? I, I avoid it most of the days. Actually, I do. <laughs> I avoid it most of the days. I actually do. I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> Just open a conversation. Next question would be, where are you from? If they say, we say, for example, right now I'm in London. If they say I'm from Manchester, are you from Manchester? What are you doing in London? Work, vacation? I'm just here for the day for some business or for meeting a friend. Ah, nice, nice. Yeah. Do you come here often? No. I ask them two, three questions, Randy. If they don't ask me a question back, I don't talk to them anymore. If I feel I'm annoying them, it's not the timing. But if they open, ask me some question back, game on. Then a default that's, question. That's a million dollar tip. I don't want to gloss over that. The fact that you just said, when you do ask two, three questions and they just answer them, monosyllabic, you know, one syllable answer, whatever. Um, no, but when they ask you questions back, that's your clue, right? Yeah. So, so always have those default question. How was the coffee? Where are you from? Next one is, if they ask me a question back, so what do you do? They tell me what they do. Are you enjoying it? Yeah. What is it that you enjoy with it? Oh, I love working with people. Or if they're a personal trainer, I'm in health, right? They say, oh, I, I, I love helping people with the health. So I'm looking for a clue that I can use against them in the prospecting, right? So if they say, I love helping people. I ask, so you, in what way do you feel you get to do that in what you do? So just trying to find some clues, some questions. And then if we buy, build some rapport by back and forth question, natural, if they're leaving, I would just say, if they work in the coffee shop, I know I'm coming back. I'll leave it for next time. If they're from Manchester in London only for the day, I know I will not meet, meet them again, probably. So I have to go and ask them. So I would say something like, we say in the example, they just said, I love working with people. I said, Lisa gave me a great impression. I'm part of, you know, building an online business, marketing business, whatever you want to use in your language, right? I'm part of expanding X, Y, Z, whatever that is you use. And then I say, we're looking for, we're expanding right now in the, actually funny for Manchester, we're expanding in that area. We're always expanding where they're at, expanding in that area. I, I like, you know, I, I give them a compliment. They can say the way how you said you love helping people. That's what we're looking for. So if you're open for new opportunities, what do you say about we get on a Zoom and talk and see if, you know, we, we, have, we have some synergistics or we could do something there. Then they always say, yeah, but can you tell me something? What is it about? Or, yeah, as I said, I go back to my original invite. As I said, I'm building a, you know, marketing business, online business with, we didn't actually test-based nutrition and you're in health. So, but since I don't know you really, and but we're looking for right, People right now, I would be willing to meet you for a Zoom to talk. Yeah, can you send me something? Of course I can do that, but I don't know you. And if you're going to talk business, if you could be the right person, I think we need to talk a little more. And from there, of course, I give you all information, send you what you need. But as I said, if you're open, let's meet on a Zoom. So if now this Zoom that you're trying to um, set them up with, it's just going to be you doing a presentation with them or a, a, a 
a video recorded or a live stream from the company? What what are you trying to get them to connect on? Here, here is different strategies how you can do as well, right? So defend, depends on the prospect. If a very high level prospect and I think they might be worth my time, I'll do a Zoom, a short Zoom, building rapport, sharing what I'm looking for, what we're doing, and then up, optimally send a video to, to, to explain the facts, right? So there'll be a follow-up presentation video. Yeah, and there I will talk to them directly after the call. Another one, if I'm not sure, is this worth my time? I could send a video. But of course, we know I have to send much more videos because it's not the personal touch. If it's a potential customer prospected, video is more effective. But if I see a high caliber potential in this person, I'm going to have the conversation with them because I feel this person is worth my time. Because what I've seen is when I send a video, it's so many people I have to go through to recruit. But if I talk to them, at the end of the day, they buy me. They're not feeling that this is more personal. And they feel like, listen, this is what I'm looking for. If you're that person, I'll personally coach and help you win here. Okay, so now let's jump back to the Instagram one. You see something on Instagram, you think they're a candidate. How are you approaching that scenario? The mindset is the same. That I see the profile and I see this person looks like a person that can fit what I'm looking for. Either open conversation. Hey, Randy, I just came across your profile. I saw we have many interests. I saw you're a fan of... Bob Proctor and love his material. How long have you been reading his material? Open conversation, right? And then from there, and then back and forth. And of course, or you can do direct approach. With some people, I do more direct. And that is, hey Randy, I just saw your profile. I saw you into leadership development. I am that as well. And um, we're expanding in, the, in, in, in Miami area right now. I saw your profile. You look like a very, you're, you're amazed at what you do. And I, I, if you're open for opportunities, I would love to, to get on a short Zoom and, or short, short phone call to see if, if we have some common ground. Or you can do the video approach there, depending on what your upline recommend there. It's just that I saw with video approach, I have to send it to 100, 150 people to kind of get a partner. So it, it's, it's, Pros and cons on, the, on that approach, right? More, I can send out much more in that one hour to 100, 150 people. But if I do a 20-minute phone call, Zoom, I can qualify them. And here is key. Learn to ask the right questions. And then they see the video material. And then I do a, a follow-up call with them. So a 15, 20-minute qualification call, see the material. Because that call, the whole purpose is I just want to see, one, do I want to work with them? Two, can I approach them? in a way where it's adjusted to their personality type or else I'm just sending one video and just approaching or attracting one person, a few personality types. I want to go more broad and then maybe with this person it's better just send this material. If you're in a health company like I am and they're in a health expert, of course I leave more with a product and our unique test and this, of course, but the best prospects been this way. So I'll give an example, Randy. This is when I, lived in, in Jacksonville, Florida. I was building. This woman was probably, was it? This was actually Vaisal's days. So what, my main Florida leader, we're driving from Jacksonville towards Orlando. We're 40 minutes south of Jacksonville. We're hungry. 
America, fast food is not easy to find healthy fast food. So where do we go? Okay, let just a chick filet, at least chicken salad. <laughs> Let's go chicken salad. I go in. So this is a live how I did with this woman. I start ordering. And then the manager is next to her. And she, I'm waiting for the food. And I see the manager. I'm asking a question to open. Hi, I see the manager, right? You're dressed different. I can see than these people, right? Open conversation. We talk. And I said, where are you from originally? From this area? And she's like, yeah, I'm from this area. And of course, where are you from? Yeah, I'm Italian, Swedish. I'm here to expand your business. And, and then at that time, I was actually coached by John C. Maxwell. I was in a program. And I knew he was coaching the CEOs of, of Chick-fil-A. So I'm trying to find common rapport, right? So I'm building rapport and common ground. So I asked her, you know what? I'm, I heard that John C. Maxwell is coaching some of your management, Chick-fil-A. I'm in a program with him, actually. Are you as managers, do you get anything from the Maxwell development program? And she's like, you know what? Actually, right now I am. Oh, nice. Are you enjoying it? I love it. What is it that you like with it? So, I mean, how long have you worked here? Enjoy it. And then I said, her name was Crystal. I said, Crystal, you know what? I'm expanding a business in this area now, looking for the right kind of leaders. And you gave me a great impression. I believe you could actually fit. You could be amazing at what we do. If you're open for new opportunities, I would love to meet you for coffee and talk business. Because a woman, I don't want her to think I'm hitting on her. So I'm very clear. Meet you for business and talk. Another thing here, I invite them where they feel safe. I'm not inviting to a business opportunity, meet at a hotel, go to a strange hotel with a stranger. No, I'm approaching her in her safe homes. I'm saying, we can meet at the Starbucks across the street one of the days next week after your work. And I would love to talk more about your Maxwell program. We can share some ideas because I'm also being coached by John C. Maxwell. I would love to talk more about Maxwell. Now she thinks she's gaining from it. She's going to talk John C. Maxwell, which she said she loved. Now we have common ground. We're going to talk Maxwell. Yeah. And Starbucks across the street. Now she's safe. Meeting a stranger has to be close to her safety uh, net. And she, we met, talked Maxwell, built relationship even before I talked business. Who is she? What's her passions? And why did she love Maxwell so much? And building rapport, relationship, building trust. And then after talk about the business, adjusted to her language based on her passions. Do a presentation. This was, I think, a Monday or Tuesday. We had a business presentation in Jacksonville a Thursday. So I actually, because we clicked, she liked the business. I mean, I invited her to a business opportunity meeting. Could be a Zoom opportunity meeting if you don't have that. But in this case, I had a live one. Again, I said, Crystal, really enjoyed this talk. And, you know, as you say, you like the business and would be amazing to work together to see if we could do something. We have a presentation where you can see the full picture of what we're doing Thursday. If you come to Jackson, it's just a 35 minute drive for you. I'll invite you for a piece of food or a bite of food after the presentation so we can talk more, right? Because, you know, you, you share, and I go back to what she shared. You know, you, you know, you said this chapter in the Maxwell, you, I would love to talk about that more as well because I think this conversation was so interesting and gave me a lot. So come there, see the full view, and I'd love to talk deeper about this stuff as well. But what she has passion, right? She loves football. Hey, let's talk about Kansas Chiefs and Mahomes. <laughs> more, I want to hear more about that because you have such a great knowledge about some of his strengths, and I want to learn from his mindset. And you say you have the key to that. 
you know, whatever that passion is, that's, so I'm using that against them in a positive way, right? I love it. Or people are going to just adore that, uh, adore hearing your process and some of the actual language you use. And I hope they really pick up on that. Again, I say there's, there's just more uh, truth bombs per minute in this series than anything else in our profession. The idea of approaching a prospect and getting them to a safe space for the presentation, because that's a big part. But I see a big problem with your process because it sounds to me, I don't think this will work because it sounds to me like you're in the real world and I just bought a $27 ebook on Facebook and they said, you should never talk to real people in the real world. You can stay home in your bunny slippers and build from home. Is that? <laughs> yeah, Randy, I mean, if, if you read that and they have a process and you feel you just started a business and this is how you want to approach it, let's go that route, Randy. So I'm meeting them where they're at. Okay, let's go that route. Let's try that. And then I tell them, this is how I recommend. This is what have worked for these people. But listen, I, don't, I never really tried. You learned a new strategy from a secret coach here online. I haven't tried that. Let's try it. But listen, I saw, you know, the last 27 magical coaches who can't build themselves, but they want your money to coach them. Uh, the last 27 people, they failed trying that. So I just want to be aware of that. The other 27 didn't work. But Randy, let's try this one. If you feel <laughs> comfortable that this could be it, let's try it together. I'm, I'm going to see how it goes for you as well. But don't come to me and say, I'm not getting results after three months if this don't work. Because listen, this might work. I want to stay relevant forever, Randy. So let's try this process. Maybe we find a golden nugget in this process. But this is how I have done it. So I love your whole attitude on that. That's ex that's a beautiful way to handle that. Uh, because Randy, if they say, I only want to build online, let, great, let's look at the strategy. Let's only build online. Because some people, I have a woman here in, in UK, she has experience only built online. She's going to listen to this for sure. She only built online. She's been having one of the coach now for two years. He's an amazing person, a friend of mine. I, I, I like him a lot. But she only built online. And um, she said, I'm really bad. I'm shy. I'm this. I cannot build offline. I said, okay, if you feel it, because you can, when you, as a leader, you have to see when she has this programming, she has this built the foundation on the table with strong legs of that belief. I will yeah. not directly day one dive in and go against her. That's too much out of her comfort zone, her belief system. So I'll say, okay, then let's build it online. I know I'll plant seeds, plant seeds, plant seeds. We worked together now for two full months, and now she's going to a networking event tomorrow. I had her, she prospected somebody on Instagram, had a first call yesterday, the first call to qualifying. She wanted me on it. 10 minutes before I said, listen, I want you to do this call yourself. No, I cannot. I cannot. We call. I mean, I only sent videos before. I, I can't have this conversation. Listen, let's go through what you're going to say. Because she is very good offline. I've seen her. I spent time with her. She's like charismatic. She's this. She's a natural. She used to work in recruiting in the past, doing good money as an employee. I said, you got this. She did that call yesterday. I kind of pushed her off. She said, you're very mean. I said, <laughs> I said, you know, if I do too much of you, I'm doing the opposite of doing you a favor. 
just do this call and just see it as education. There's millions of prospects. If you burn this, you say the wrong things, it's okay. But he doesn't know the right things because he's a prospect. You know what's right or wrong. He doesn't know. Just do the call as education. Write down and call me directly after. She called, after we talked, I, you could see it because we did a Zoom. So after. She was smiling. It went so well. You know what? I realized I, I'm really good at this. So she grew so much because I pushed her out. Yeah. So meet people at rat, but plant seeds slowly, slowly. Adjust them, you know, and then and then also just to add the crystal lady, she did start with Vaisalas. She even hit regional director where you make, I think, 1250 a month, car qualifier and everything. So it works. Yeah, it's amazing. I love, like I say, people are going to really get so much value out of this. Let's talk about our mutual acquaintance, the man from Houston, Texas, via South Africa, via Czech Republic, Arthur Jonak. Um, you get a chance to interact with him a lot, even he's here in the States, but he does a lot. You know, you've had a lot of seven hour dinners with him, probably. Uh, what have you learned from art? Oof. Oof. The question is, what have you learned? I mean, I have to go back and think. Over, first, it's so much I learned from him because it's 2011. I came to the mastermind that he arranges right every year. And you guys arrange. And I think art is brilliant on so many things when it comes to this profession, but also outside of this profession, right? Because he's always staying relevant. You know, as we know, it's a big passion for also the tech scene. So he's staying relevant is in, in what's working in today's economy and how is this industry also developing. So it's always up to date. So over that over a decade I knew him, known him, it's always the newest, the latest from a in-depth critical thinking perspective. So I think for everybody here that that if you have never been to the mastermind, you have to go to the mastermind event. Every year, this event, when I started going, was actually my first mentor at 20, Magnus, who brought me, because he was my sponsor in Vima. He brought me 2011 to the Mastermind event, and this changed everything for me, because that is where I learned a lot of strategies, also the mindset, but also gaining a deeper understanding from where this industry is going. So art is the best at help you stay up to date at what's relevant, what's working today. And also all the conversation from a regulatory standpoint, right? I mean, he read, reads the FTC files and this. So just his depth from behind the scenes to his depth of being in the industry from distributor, corporate, uh, uh, expert. Uh, and, and, and for so long, it's like you have, from, no matter from what angle you come, his depth is impressive, always impressive. Then, of course, he's an amazing human being, and I'm happy to call him a friend today. And I have to tell you, go to the mastermind. As today, I have the honor, because that was a dream I wrote, I want to be one of faculty members one day. And seeing you, Randy, there, and Art, and, and all the other speakers, or in Woodrow, Chris Brady back there, you know, it's... It learned me, it taught me a lot of the most important strategies over the years. I would say the mastermind, we mentioned Nick in the past, and what I learned there, 
Orian Sale, amazing. And of course, my first mentor, Magnus there. Uh, I mentioned a few there, but that's the, the impact you guys have made on me. And I have to say, Mastermind is one of the biggest pieces to that puzzle. Small, small things. I used to go there every year, 2011, the first time I wrote down. And one thing you said there that changed my whole business is you did a training and you said, you need to have four lines chasing you. And you draw out that when, you know, when you, when you're one line, one leader takes it away. If you have to sponsor an artist to always have growth, four lines chasing you. I took that to heart, teach my team. And I'm always, that's again, back to why I'm a, a good recruiter. One of those things you planted in me, Randy, that because four lines chasing you gives me control. If two of my leaders would quit, take a deal, leave or whatever, I'm building it so wide. So that is less than a few percentage of my business. But too many leaders out there, they ride that from the perspective of if one of their three top producers leaving, 33 to 65 to 80% of the business is gone. I never want that. So I always built it having four lines chasing me, which means I'm building leaders, right? When they take it away from me, now all of a sudden I need to sponsor two people because now, because of what you planted in me in 2011, I'm panicking if I only have two lines chasing me. It's, that's control. I wish. So first of all, mastermindevent.com. Any year you're watching this, that's the website. If you're watching this when it first comes out, this year, it's in December in Italia, Turkey. It's going to be amazing. So mastermindevent.com. Uh, yeah, the thing, the four lines chasing you. There's sometimes when I write stuff in my book or I'm doing a seminar, I want to like jump up and down and scream and say, let me tell you the thing I'm going to tell you next is so important. You know, I hate to write this in all caps and repeat it five times, but let me write this in all caps and repeat it five times. If you, if people would just understand how valuable that advice, that strategy of always Keep recruiting until you have four lines chasing. By chasing you, that means like the the lady you just mentioned, who you she called you up. Okay, I've got my Zoom, and then you say, Oh no, by the way, this time I want you to do the Zoom by yourself. She's an example of a line chasing you. She's in the business. She's developing. She's learning how to become a professional in the business, and. People who are calling you and asking for help, asking you to come there and do a training with their team, asking you to participate in Zoom calls, that means they're chasing you. And they do get to this point where somebody in that line takes it away from you. They're just somebody who becomes, so you have that line going in Detroit, Michigan, and there's some guy on the fifth level and he just takes off. He's amazing at doing presentations. He starts doing the regular opportunity presentations there. They create a leadership academy. Every week there's a leadership academy. They're creating this bench of amazing presenters who become good at doing the presentation. They're working down in depth. They create this culture of keep recruiting till there's four line chasing. And suddenly you're not needed in the day-to-day -day, uh, growth of that business. It's going to, if you drop dead tomorrow, it wouldn't matter. That line would continue to build for the next 30, 40, 50 years because the, it has 
got there's enough qualified leaders in that line to create self-sufficiency and ongoing duplication and when you and the, of course we all have the opportunity at some point you could say hey i'm making a hundred thousand euros a month i love my lifestyle i just want to drink out of a coconut now you've earned the right to do that and i'm never going to um talk bad or resent anybody who makes that choice um but if you want to continue to grow and you don't want to become static then you're always going to say okay yeah uh, this line has taken it away from me so i need to go out and recruit again and replace that person and, and this is where the i'm working on this with two companies right now on modifying their compensation plan to create better growth because sometimes what happens in the comp plans is they have such a distance between rank five and rank six that it becomes a dead zone people get to rank five and they're making twenty thousand dollars a month people at rank six are making $80,000 a month. Well, the people who make it to rank six, man, they love it. They adore it. But most of the people at rank five, they stop there because rank six looks so far away that they don't feel it's attainable in the near foreseeable future. So they don't get highly motivated for that. But if they're making 20000 at rank five, and then rank six is where they could make 32,000 or 29,000 or 36,000. And it's doable. It, they could see themselves doing that in four months. They could see themselves doing that in six months. Then when it's three days before the close of the pay period, they're still motivated. They're still got people, hey, you know, you if you did 800 more PV in this line, you're going to qualify at that rank. And instead of making 800 euros this month, you're going to make 1500 euros this month. And that transpires across their organization. And then it manifests in their own way where, okay, instead of making 20,000 this month, I'm going to make 24,500 this month. And now you're making 24,500 that 30,000 doesn't seem so far away. So in a sense, it's golden handcuffs, but like the usually when I talk about golden handcuffs, it's like the bonus cars and the trips and the annual bonuses things. It's also really important that comp plans are created to keep driving that behavior. So someone could say, no, yeah, because let's be honest, if you make 20,000 euros a month, 20,000 US dollars a month, you are in the one half to 1% of the wealthiest people on earth. And if you budget yourself strictly, you can get by on $20,000 a month. I know it's hard. You might have to go to some all-you-can-eat buffets sometime. You might have to cash in some of those five dollar off coupons you might have to forego a, a trip to paris every month but you could get by on twenty thousand dollars a month and i'm only being halfway snarky when i when i joke about that um the truth is so people can get to twenty thousand and 
for most people in our business who get to $20,000 a month, 99 plus percent of them, that's the most money they have ever earned in their entire life. They have never had any kind of business or job opportunity that could give them a $20,000 a month income and a residual income, not a one-time income. Um, so it can, you know, inertia can set in. But if the comp plan is designed right, and that's why literally two different clients I'm working with right now to say, no, you know, and I can, you know, they're, they, they're like, well, we've hired consultants. Uh, we've been working on this for two years. We're trying to analyze how the plan is working. And I'm like, fuck that shit. Here's the report I need from your CFO. And I give him a specific for this six-month period, give me the people who are qualified at this rank. I need to know what is the highest rank they qualified for, and then what are they getting paid at? So what's their qualified rank? What is their paid rest rank? Run that report, send it to me in 20 minutes, and give me 10 minutes, and then I will tell you if your comp plan is working or not. <laughs> and I literally just need 10 minutes, and I could tell them, your plan is not facilitating growth. Your plan is killing your growth because I can look at the percentage of people who are qualifying at each rank and I can look at the distance in between each rank, right? So that part of that equation is the comp plan element and people, companies have to be cognizant of that. And then the other part is this thing that we can do as field leaders, which is if we create that culture where people are always working to have four lines chasing them, it will dramatically cause continuous growth and upward trajectory in the career path of the compensation plan. Hmm. Um, like how many, um, how many personal active enrollees are you working with at this moment in time? After six and a half years with the company, I have, of course, now, because I sponsor in many countries and I have many people making good money that kind of took those lines away from me. So right now, if I see where I'm really those four lines chasing me, I would say, of course, I'm still involved in many of the old lines, right? Of course, with counseling, with closing calls and this and that, but that I'm driving right now, it's it's uh, two halves and two fully ones. But no, so here's what I'm asking, including the ones who have taken it away from you. How many personal lines do you have active who are still building the business? Because I think the number was shock people to yeah. know because people say, oh my God, I could never work with more than three people at a time. Yeah. But most top leaders have 17 lines or 22 yeah. lines or it's 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 if I look at active building around 20, then okay. there's more, but yeah. they're not doing anything and stuff. But but yeah. the, our, our, our building it's around 20. Yeah, because I just want people to understand that that what the business really looks like at the higher levels, because they they can scare themselves away saying, Oh my god, I could never work with 20 people myself. But you don't have to. If we're doing this the right way, you have turned them from, they start, you decide, okay, is this person worthy of personal attention or group attention? So somebody who's like, oh my God, the company should 
lower the price of the products. Uh, the company should pay more money in the comp plan. Why do they only have chocolate and strawberry shakes? Can't we get guava shakes? Well, you know, you say, okay, this is not a person to send personal attention. I'm going to put them in the group track. This person who says, hey, I've got five people coming over tonight. I'm doing my first presentation. Would you be willing to Skype in or Zoom in at the end for five minutes? You say, wow, this is somebody I'm working with personal attention. But then as you go down and you develop that line and you help them get at least 10 levels deep, you rotate the pattern. They're learning the skill sets, how to meet people, how to work the candidate list, how to invite, how to get people in front of third party or external source presentations, how to make compelling invitations, how to follow up. Now you get to turn that personal attention line into group attention line because they don't need that personal attention anymore. And that's where the magic of the business is. The If you're doing it the way I'm teaching, right? I mean, we all know there are grinders out there who work 18 hours a day and they have to do every presentation in their team and every training in their team. And But, but my and word, by the old MLM saying, right? If when you slow down, your group slows down. Yeah, but yeah. where's the leaders? I mean, where where are we creating leaders or just followers? Yeah, because it's it's just the smoke and mirrors thing, right? That um, so this is what my work for 30 years now has been dedicated to is saying, no, you can actually build residual, you can build passive income, but you gotta have a system, you gotta have third-party tools. And you've got to get your ego out of the way. You've got to, you can't be the guy or gal sucking all the oxygen out of the room. You have to be comfortable with your people being on stage instead of you a lot of the time. You have to be there just beaming in the front row with pride as your people are walking across the stage, getting pinned their new ranks at the convention and not always thinking that, well, I need to be the star on the stage um, because you can do that. I mean, we certainly have a lot of grinders. I have many friends in the business who they love me. They adore me. They still haven't read my book. They, they're too busy to read my book because they work 18 hours a day and they make 50,000 a month. So and they used to sell cars for a living or they used to be uh, a football coach or they used to be an Uber driver. So $50,000 a month is so much money that they're living like a king, but they're not living like a king because they're taking 18 hours a day to do it because they're the grinders. They're like the guy in the circus spinning those plates. And at um, 2 a.m., North Carolina time, they're doing calls with people in Hawaii because it's six hours earlier. And then at you know 5 a.m., they're getting up to do a team call with the team in New Zealand because it's 24 hours later the next day and blah, blah, blah. It's 5 p.m. there or whatever. You know, the what we're trying to do with this work, like with Duplication Nation and the MLM confidential newsletters show people, no, no, you don't have to be a grinder and you don't have to do the, I was just, I had a friend sending me all these uh, social media posts when this CoffeeZilla thing came out and behind MLM. And so they started sending me 
some of the Instagram posts from these people who are in these crypto scams and they're imposed in front of their yacht that they just paid cash for. They're doing the private jets and the Lambos and, and, and it's all bullshit. It's not real. It's just, you know, and, and, and now I'm seeing posts from those people like, why is everybody mad at me? I lost all my money in this too. You know, I'm a victim just like you are. No, you were the asshole who was promoting it 24 hours a day with all your videos of your private jets and your Lambos and your thing that you don't even own, that you went and rented for the day and all the smoke and mirrors and hype you created. Yes, you, you were showing screenshots of your bank balance that showed you had $12.5 million in your account. But that $12.5 million is a shit coin that's actually worth $42.33 right now. And, <laughs> you know, it's just cray cray. It's just cray cray. Uh, uh, oh, talking of money, you know what would be a fun thing to talk about that I know you could riff on a little is making your first million dollars in the business. And what you do with it when you're young and you're dumb like me and I started making money and I was um, spending it like, a. although I'm happy with the way I spent it. I spent money like a drunken sailor buying sports cars and everything, but I was paying cash for them. You know, I wasn't buying stuff on credit. I was living and loving it and it enhanced my prosperity. I've since learned how to manage money better. And I'm proud of the fact that I'm a good steward of the wealth that I've been able to develop. Um, but I would never take that away from my younger self that I did. I used to, people used to say, well, why do you have all those different colored vipers? Why do you need more than one? And I said, well, when you go to dinner, you want your car to match your shoes. You know, I would, so I could, you know, I had fun with that. And, uh, you know, to paraphrase uh, a Jimmy Buffett song, I made enough money to buy Miami and pissed it all away. Um, but in my case, I didn't piss it all away. I had some fun and then I learned how to grow it. I think you've kind of had a similar trajectory, would you say? Hundred percent. I mean, you know, growing up with a, mostly with a single mother, as I mentioned, you know, at fifteen, my friends could get stuff I never could get. We couldn't afford. Probably built some kind of hunger, but also built. Um, I would say when I started making a lot of money, I, I say my first millions. I can still stand there looking out with a binoculars and looking where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> little here, little there, trip here, this that. that. So first millions. I have no clue. So in one way, I needed to get that out of my system. I flew the world around. I love expensive hotels, nice wines, nice best restaurants, and lived here, lived in many different countries. And so, so and then, of course, I was helping a lot of people with money. And every time I had friends, oh, I cannot afford. So let's go to New York. I can't afford. No worries. I'll pay that. So gave away a lot. And Landed people money. And so, of course, the first millions, they just, I have no clue. But now the last few years, I've been much more smarter with money. And so it's been a journey for me. 
to 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 be smarter with money. Now I'm I'm talking a lot with my team of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If somebody like one, one asked me recently, why don't you buy a Ferrari? I said, yeah, but uh, yeah, I will buy one in the future. But before my real estate and my assets can't pay for that, why would I buy a Ferrari? When I sit there with this person, it doesn't help my team if a Ferrari or not. So it's kind of the mindset instead of saying, you should buy a Ferrari when you, make, when you can't afford it. No, no. When you can have assets that pay for your Ferrari, then I think you should buy a Ferrari. But the bonus check, invest that smart because part goes, I reinvest in the business. But now I talk about be smart with your money. And what I personally invest in, I, I'm not a financial advisor, so it's not what I say what you should invest in. But I learned with gambling with the not so smart investments. Now I'm going to play it, you know, stocks, index funds, real estate. I just have a new real estate I bought in Manchester, as we talked about. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it, it's completed next month, and that's going to pay me, you know, over the years, a lot of nice residual income every month. And then building up those assets. And when that can pay for that, yes, then I can buy all of this stuff. In the past was more, let's, let's, let's show it now, the lifestyle and that. But it's a communication with your team talking about, well, it's not cool if you have a Rolex and it's worth more than you have in assets. That's not cool. That's fake. So it's that communication. I think you're not cool if you're driving a car that costs more than you have in assets. What, what is cool, getting out of debt, building real assets, and then you can buy the Rolex. When, when you have a Rolex and that is not worth even close to your asset, that's cool. Let's talk about that. Yes, you can. And then about, of course, people want to have fun as well. So I'm like, if you decide for a number, if it's 20%, take 20% of your paycheck, invest in whatever you want to invest in. Those 20% or 25%, whatever it is for you, if you make five, you know, 1,000 today, maybe you start with... 10%, 5%, but start creating the habit. Because if you don't start creating the habit when you make a little of money, you won't have it when you make a lot of money. Because that's what's my thinking. When I make 10K, I'm going to invest this and this percentage, past 10K. When I make 20K, I'm going to put that. When I pass 20K, when I took... So it's always that cycle because I didn't create the habits. So it's talking to your team about, listen, let, let's start talking about this now. Where do you... So this is your golden goose. You build your, your income here with the business, but where do you want to invest them? Let's, let's decide a percentage now and do that with discipline because I believe in if my first millions, if I just put away 20%, I can throw away the rest on the street. It doesn't matter because my assets is growing. My wealth is growing. So it's, it's, it's talking about what's cool. It's not cool to be in debt, having a Rolex that's worth more than your, your assets or expensive car when you can hardly, you know, you cannot even f fly business class because you're so broke every month because you're spending too much on the car. That's not cool. Cool is building assets, building free freedom for, for, for the rest of your life, for generations to come. That's cool. Amen. We talked about art. What do, what do you learn working all these years with Orion and Hilda? I mean, I think Orion and Hilda, it's, it's, they, they are for sure one of the best leaders in this profession. You know, how, how they built their teams over so long time. And what I've learned is how you, of course, many things, but everything from family, looking at how they are an example of, of in their relationships, having goals for the family, building what they always say in family. It's always, they have their, you know, should be 
everly growing, wildly romantic and everlasting. And you don't know, have this saying that I take to my life and create that. So I learned so much from that. But also when it comes to what I just said, being smart with money, you know, investing, there are examples of that as well, right? So they yeah. they tell you, you know, you, you know, what I learned as well there is playing the long-term game. How there are examples of, of thinking long-term, never try to th- think, take shortcuts and that, that mindset of investing long-term, both in your business, but also with your money and everything. That has been some of the biggest lessons but then also how they are also, for example, couple counseling, you know, how they can give you advice on that. And they're so broad in their knowledge. And that that impressed me a lot. And they, they are all examples of, of living a good life with, with good values and, and 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 standing up for your mistakes and 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 always growing, always becoming better. And, and then, of course, when it comes to leadership, how they how they treat people, how they build their relationships. And there's so much, Randy, from strategies to... They are just living examples of that you can build a business where you help people win. Financially, yes, but you can do it many ways. But live it, win in life, become a happier human being that wake up in the morning more satisfied and live with that harmony instead of having that, you know, negative, anxiety-filled, negative push every day, build it in a way where it's stable so you can live it your life and build a business with a positive pull. So those things is something that they are living examples of these things. Yeah. You know what? I got to start something this this episode in the show notes. I'm going to link to them because we've got a full show with Art Jonak. He was the first one we did. I have a show with Orion. I have a show with Hilda. I'm going to put them in the note. Anyone who's, if they're here, if you're just here for the first time or two, if you haven't, go back and watch or listen to those shows because uh, they, you know, they're just there again i go with truth bombs per minute <laughs> this is the highest density of truth bombs per minute uh training has ever been done in the history of our profession uh listen this has been wonderful um to wrap it up i have started a new tradition a few shows ago um where the last thing i ask someone is the worst rejection or worst presentation nightmare that you ever experienced. And what did you learn from that? <laughs> I mean, the worst presentation nightmare. It's one thing I, I mentioned when I spoke Mastermind 2018, I think. It was when I had a guy, great young potential hungry guy in Washington. And um, he had a little group and, and a lot of energy. Talented guy, flew, booked a flight to Washington, went there, and we had a certain target goal, and I trusted he would have so many people in the room. He had a hundred people room, and flew there. Came in the evening before, brought him and the main other for, for dinner, and I said so because I gave him a certain task, and he he was on track a couple of days before. Got there, and he's like, so how's it looking? 
It's like, yeah, you know, this person couldn't come, this person couldn't come. But you know what I did? Printed 200 flyers, gave it out on the streets there. So now the room is it's going to be more than 100 people. The room is going to be too small. We know where it goes, right? Like, <laughs> oh, no. So you gave out flyers. How did it look like? And, and, and what did you tell the people? And uh, just walked up on the street. Listen, we have a presentation. You should be there. This is a great opportunity. This is just strange giving an end like this. I'm like, oh. Got to the meeting. There was him and three part of his business partners, or four, three or four of his business partners in the room. Zero guests, nothing. That that's the ultimate nightmare. You spent flight tickets, so much time and money and, and hotels, and you fly there and this happens. And what do you do? I mean, of course, then I tell them, great, let's do a training, how to invite, how to build <laughs> towards the next one. And you do a training and keep the moral up. And that 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 is the ultimate nightmare. What did it teach me? What I've been much better with after that is inspect what you expect. Meaning, he's going to invite a certain amount of people. Inspect what they expect. Okay, you said you're going to invite 45 people confirmed by having deadlines one week before. We need this many people confirmed. Calling one week before. You said you're going to have 40 confirmed. Do we have the 40 confirmed? No, I only have 25. Okay, how what can we do to get the 40? You know, so inspect what you expect because that is an ultimate nightmare. Spending a lot of money and time flying in and nobody's there. That, what I changed from that is inspecting what I'm expecting. So now if I travel of hours to a city, what I do sometimes, if it's a person, I inspect, how many do I invite? Yeah, you're coming. We have seven two-on-ones, for example, if I'm there to build a new leader, educating him, There's two, seven two-on-ones. I'm going to call him a couple days before. What do I have confirmed? What did you tell them? Who's the best contact? Sometimes I even call those contacts. Hey, Jimmy, I know Daniel's invited you for Thursday. I just want to call to introduce myself, you know, my, as Marco. Daniel talked highly about you. I can't wait to meet you. So looking forward to see you then. I do that and also tell Daniel, I want you to tell him an invitation. You promote me, but also tell them, if you can't make it, I need to know 24 hours before because I don't want to waste this entrepreneur or leader's time. So give me a, a notice 24 hours before. That's some of the things that changed. Beautiful. My friend, this has been delightful. As always, enjoy spending time with you. Uh, and just thank you for sharing your insights on this. Uh, it, this. This series is, it has become the PhD program of leadership for people in our space. Um, I'm just proud of what we're doing every week. And this today is no exception. So thank you so much uh, for being a part. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for everything you do for the profession. And, uh, and, and this is a great uh, podcast. I think everybody that's serious should listen to. So uh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for everything and all the teachings over the last actually two decades and 20 years ago, I started listening to material. Thank you very much. All right. You guys watching and listening, like, rate, subscribe, and share every Wednesday, new episode. Make sure you got your team listening because a team who gets this kind of information is a team that's going to grow. Thanks everybody. Peace. 
Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe. <laughs>